0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here at the Commonwealth Club this Thursday afternoon at a special time. We're starting at 1230 instead of noon. Um, So that that might be a a little bit of a switch for some of our regulars. And, of course, I'm here with my co-host, John Zipper. John, welcome.
1: Welcome back, Michelle.
0: Yep. We're always here every Thursday for The View. We keep talking about it. And for Progressive Voices listeners, um, I'm truly sorry. You're just going to have to fly to San Francisco (laughs) to really check out the Commonwealth Club building because it's beautiful speaking of a beautiful glorious day I've been excited about this very moment I have waited for so many years and I don't I don't really know why I didn't get the chance um, but I can explain a little bit later in the interview but I've been waiting for our guest today for a really long time to to speak to her uh, because you know moving here to San Francisco being a young San Franciscan and out queer person to have lived that moment to know that there was a first a first, lesbian woman elected official and I would say not first lesbian elected official necessarily because we'll get into what roles she played as a first but definitely one of the first to do a lot of many firsts such as domestic partnership. Um, and so our guest today is the honorable Carol Migdon, who also served as a assembly member and also state senator for San Francisco. Carol, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Michelle, for the glorious introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I mentioned the first and first and first, I should be specific first Woman, lesbian, just to chair an important committee such as the Appropriations committee, and we 'll talk about how important that committee is later in our interview, But first, please do us the honor of sharing a coming out story.
2: This is interesting for sure. I moved to San Francisco in 1970 and I was with a young guy, a boyfriend. We both got jobs in the Haight-Ashbury Medical Clinic and apartments, and everything was affordable and terrific. And uh, I was involved in a nonprofit detoxing heroin addicts. I went on to get a master's degree in clinical psychology, and in that process, took a feminist therapy class and realized I was really attracted to my teacher. <laughs> And uh, processed all of that, and frankly, over a weekend, broke up, we later got married, broke up with my husband, went off with my teacher, and I thought that was what everyone had done, and then I realized, no, uh most of these lesbians were in the closet and hadn't necessarily told their parents, so I created a lesbian <coughs> nuclear war in my household, but that was in the 70s. And I began to work in the movement at that time, uh, and I continued to run nonprofits. met Harvey Milk, lived in San Francisco. And I was part of... uh, I graduated college uh, in 1970, so I was the 60s generation, and we were very political. We'd demonstrate against the war. We would go to Washington, D.C., regularly to make our presence felt. Uh, Or they were jailing Black Panthers, and we would go to uh, Yale, the Green at Yale, to say, free Bobby, free Erica. So the idea of getting politically involved was already, you know, incorporated into my body politic. Um, So that's the coming out story, and that also leads to the activism. Mm.
0: uh, I just have to confirm one more time. You, You did hook up with your teacher. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I had questions on my teacher too. Yes, I did.
2: Uh, and it wasn't a long relationship, but it was enough to have me firmly come out and then sort of establish my standing and identity and move forward uh, in a in a positive way.
1: Recently, Jane Lynch, the actress, uh, was talking about the role that Ellen DeGeneres played as you know one of the first major actresses to come out and to take hits for it Mm -hmm. you know it basically arguably ended her first show um and you know it hurt her career she obviously has rebounded but jane lynch was really praising her because she was saying wow it has been so much easier for me Mm -hmm. that i don't have to fight certain battles she did um you were you and and as we saw in the documentary political animals animals uh you were part of a wave of, of firsts and could you talk a bit about what that was like? You said being part of a movement and such, were you getting a lot of blowback being publicly out?
2: You know, no. one of the things that helped me in life is I was never intimidated by men. People called me fearless. I don't know why that is, but I didn't get distracted by the opinions of others Mm -hmm. ever. And by the way, um, Ellen DeGeneres got a great reward by marrying the most wonderful Portia de De Rossi. But um, she was a first and helped. You mentioned the film Political Animals. That's when we passed the first domestic partnership bill in the state of California, and it was implemented in the year 2000. So that's 20 years ago we were doing those efforts. Yeah. Well, 20 years later, there's a crop of young people with terrific attitudes on race, on gender identity, on a myriad of issues, and some of the folks that were so hardened against us maybe aren't around anymore. So that's also accounts for progress and other things, and I have never seen such a juggernaut of attitude change on any deep-seated social issue has it been the acceptance of... LGBT people, of same-sex marriage, of transgender identity and issues surrounding that. I, um, so I think it's just been, uh, as we take in some of the things that are disappointing in life, mm-hmm. we should behold that there's a very genuine attitude change um, that's part of American culture and spreading throughout the world. You know, two weeks ago, Ecuador uh, established same-sex marriage. Yep. It's a very Catholic country. It's it, it, fabulous.
0: I want to stay on that. What about the LGBTQ community's response to you being a, a many a first? Uh, you just mentioned meeting Harvey Milk and. Uh, the tragedy that followed, uh, e- you represent something very major for us, even as a community. But what was the relationship like with your constituents in the community?
2: You know, it was, it was always good. And community members, especially from San Francisco, we are, where we are very political and radical or progressive, one would always have to communicate how slowly change moves in a state legislature. And that how one has to gather votes uh, from Democrats in tough areas like Fresno, like Bakersfield, other parts of the state that don't enjoy, you know, our uh, carefree uh, sense of liberalism or, you know, our well-honed attitude. San Francisco has always been seen as the Barbary Coast, the place to go, start a new beginning a liberal fortress, Um, so the relationship, I I always kept in dialogue with uh, community members and activists, and I would always say it's an incremental um, process often, but at the very end, domestic partnership legislation in the state of California, we were the first state in the nation to afford every right to domestic partnerships that is enjoyed by heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. That has to do with tax issues, that has to do with AAA membership, that has to do with reassessment of houses, so many things, 109 laws, and therefore created a great platform when the plaintiff sued in the United States Supreme Court to establish the right of domestic partnership the state had declared, we're in support of this. And it helped immeasurably, uh, most particularly with Justice Kennedy, who was the one that provided the vote we needed Mm -hmm. in order for that to become the law of the land. And I also want to say there was maybe a couple of county registers, register personnel,
1: registrars,
2: registrars, that were not happy, but there were no riots in the streets, there were no editorials, there was no blowback, as you say. The country had kind of moved on. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And that, to me, was especially heartening.
1: You know, I think a lot of us these days have conversations of talking about current politics and often focusing on what's going on nationally and kind of saying... Wow, I never thought we would go backwards on some, mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. things. Do you even watching that and knowing inside how politics works better than the general public does, do you retain that optimism and are you totally? Yeah.
2: Because pendulums swing. And I depend upon Michelle and her sisters and brothers and others with their daring do and ambition and willingness to keep to the fight, to make corrections, or to reestablish uh, beach heads in places that we might have seen a diminishment. But in the main, in the courts, we won't have the same-sex marriage issue challenged. Transgender in the military, you know, the generals wanted those soldiers, uh, and I think that can be reestablished. And increasingly, there is a public acceptance of gender reassignment or of questioning and having respect for that. Um, I am buoyant. I am always optimistic. I think you have to take in the reality, not hide from that, not be in denial but nevertheless i do see a more hopeful future for our nation
0: i mentioned the uh, appropriations committee and you being the first lesbian and woman to chair that committee it is one of the most powerful committees in in government it's where you see bills live or die practically Correct. um and to john's question and about you know the the general public maybe not understanding wholly 100% how politics work or even how bills get passed or or not passed. I mean, your opinion on, for those of us who want to see it a better day tomorrow, it's one thing to get on a platform and be very, very loud, uh, which I think lies on activism more than it does on politics. But because you have the experience and successfully as both an activist and a politician – Do you feel that we we might be maybe getting off track a little bit as far as uh, being able to be savvy and and, and understand politics and getting what we want passed, like the strategy behind it? That's why I love
2: my movie and John's mention of it. That's Political Animals, available Mm. on Amazon Prime and Store Z and iTunes. But it shows you how bills gets made. And uh, the issue is, is you have to trust the people you send as delegates to take the idea and and get it done. Often people say, I authored a bill, I was the one this. The question really is, was that bill enacted? Did it get signed? Did the governor sign it? Did it become law? Not what you showcase, Mm -hmm. what became law? And the, we as lawmakers don't always have anything to do with implementation. One year, I passed the strongest Clean Water Act in the nation that said if, you, you know, if businesses deposited 12 jelly beans, they'd get a fine no matter <laughs> what. And um, the point was is that uh, you know, it got enacted into law. Yet, Pete Wilson, who was governor at the time, he laid off all the game wardens to implement the bill. So then I got on, you know, frustrated and tried to get into and influence the executive functions. But here's the thing. Activism is very important because it makes subjects worthy of discussion, And it spreads information. And when you add social media, that's a terrific value of the dissemination and the many, many, many people who are reached. I like the deliberative process. I think we should encourage more conversation and dialogue and not be afraid to express our voices, even if they're differing. Because that is a way to take measure and sometimes be open-minded and learn a thing or two. And uh, how a bill gets made is something one can learn if one chooses to in the most detailed occurrences of procedures. But the steadfastness of what a community insists upon, that's the important part. And the legislator says, I need you to gather these people to come to a hearing and let your voices be heard. And in doing so, I can implement your wish. In this city, I did serve citywide. And there was more of a perspective of what's good for San Francisco in the future. Not my neighborhood. And I think one of the unexpected consequences of of district supervisor is that there's maybe to consumed and very localized little issues, as opposed to saying, what's the job base of the future? Is it going to be in health care? What do we have to do to prepare our youngsters in order to take those jobs? What about tourism? It's always been an important facet of our economy. Mm. Now I don't just talk about homelessness. I talk about what it takes to get around in this city, how uninvited it has become. We have to wrestle with that. And if we have transit options, we have to talk about it more. I'm looking out at your beautiful view, and I know there's a lot of cruise ships that now dock. Do those people spend money, or do they just crowd up our city down at the Embarcadero? Like, it has become a problem in Venice, Italy. Yeah. You know? So I think there's some core issues, because the livability of the city is so important. And the way that stress or aggravation or road rage or other things occur, we don't recognize ourselves in our city, and we're not built for 100,000
1: more people. Go ahead,
0: I have so many. I mean, I mean there's so many questions. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're on San Francisco. I was, wait, I was hoping to wait um, a little later to talk about San Francisco, but let's d- dive into it. I mean, you know, you, you there's a, a I can hear a message in what you're saying, um, having the experience that you have and looking you know, looking back at the, the younger generation. Right. Right, and so there's advanced technology, and many of us embrace it. Many of the new people who are coming to San Francisco certainly embrace it. They're being employed by these tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned social media, and that is just what it is, and mm-hmm. a lot of us rely on it now not just right. for uh, status updates but for news. That's, That's exactly that right. That gives me a heart attack or heartburn. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> um but what I'm trying to say is that where is the balance if you are considered the tech, you know, epicenter of the universe, uh, such as San Francisco, and, you, and there are, you know, there's an influx of jobs, but at the same time, maybe what we're missing is the, the humanizing part. For example, yeah, the shared car drive idea was a great idea to maybe help in tandem with you know, taxi cabs. Now they've taken over, yeah. and everyone is starting to use it, but we're not thinking about the traffic it's causing and the fact that many of the drivers don't actually know where they're going. They're coming from right. out of town.
1: And the fact that taxi driving often yeah. was a way for immigrants and minorities to get a good, solid job.
0: No question, yeah. but it was so always a problem. You,
2: what would th- you do? Well, here's the thing. I live on Third Street, so I used to be able to get a cab wherever I ended up, I couldn't get a cab.
1: <laughs> Good point.
2: And that's a problem. Yeah. We don't have, like, cab stations at different places because that would help. Or the cabbies would say, gee, I got a call to go to the Richmond. I got out there, and they didn't want it. There are two problems with the ride show. In one case, it's, it's individuals that need a few bucks that have other jobs and are trying to you know, make ends meet for their family. Some of our uh, you know, Uber or Lyft drivers live in Vallejo or other places. Uh, I think a state law does not allow the regulation exactly of numbers, but I know the city attorney is trying to work on a way uh, to perhaps create some kind of legal limits. Young people, frankly, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way in any way, Perhaps it's more of a suburban perspective, but they're driven around in places by their parents. When I was a kid, I took a school bus or I walked. So then we find that young people don't necessarily want driver's license. That was the biggest thing in the world to me, to get to be 16 and drive. Yeah. So now, if you're <laughs> on social media, maybe you want the Uber and you can continue to relate to your iPhone. You see, so there's there's some different changes in how people are living, or how, what kind of life patterns they seek out for themselves. Uh, but but, is that
0: ruining a city, or or is it not? I guess, I guess where I'm trying to get at is, uh, if you if you sit in a position where you can have some power to make decisions of how this all gets played out. Um, I
2: once introduced a bill when I was on the board of supervisors that. Um, would provide a commuter tax for the privilege of working in San Francisco. New York City does this, because when you think about it, the exodus that creates the jams are commuters that pay taxes in their outskirt communities, not to San Francisco. So we have to pick the roads and the police and a lot of things. I don't know if i get much life in that or if the board would tackle it, but I do think... Uh, that that becomes more of an issue. But we have become built, and there are new citizens. And there's no way that I would not say that we're not proud to have the tech presence and be cutting edge and having a lot of smart young people and others um, make the city their home and receive their enormous contribution. I do think, though, we may have to change our views about perhaps we're going to have to have more denser housing, find a way to establish renter housing that's closer to transit. Uh, We may have to make some adjustments to keep our population in the city and to keep the city affordable to people that have lived here a long time. And the city needs working class people to operate, to work at City Hall, to do the numberless jobs required to maintain a city and its operations. So it's in the city's interest as well as the individual interest. But we all know that a young person that grown up in San Francisco who may be 30 or 40 and want to move here with a family cannot do it today it is out of sight. The job market is so stiff because people that have their homes know they can't sell and move into anything comparable. So they're going to hold tight uh, and perhaps leave the house if someone becomes older to their children so that they can uh, come to the city. Those are realities. You know, I'm a dealer with reality. I'm not a look over the shoulder. That shouldn't have happened. It happened. We're full. We're teaming. And I live at uh, Third and Folsom, the city part of the city. So, shoot, that's really tough to get in my driveway (laughs) plenty (laughs) plenty of times.
1: Talking about city problems, and, you know, you served on the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, served in the state legislature. If you wanted to uh change things about San Francisco and maybe some of the you know the really heavy lifting things, what's the best position to have? Would you want to be back on the board of supervisors? Did you want to be mayor? You know, or, or is the power currently in Sacramento and and that would affect it? that's you a good as a thing to ask. Me
2: as a person, uh I enjoy a relationship now with the mayor where I render some advice now and then. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, People might have said I wanted to be. I never wanted to be the mayor. Really, I don't like all the extra social stuff that comes with it. To be (laughs) honest, I don't mind going in and doing the job. But um, I never really wanted to be mayor, although I was named to be one. If someone says you want to be mayor and they put your name in the the newspapers, no reason to say you don't. Jerry Brown was a very uh, strong governor that eclipsed the legislature. I think Governor Newsom's doing a terrific job. I'm very proud of the things he's done for our city and holds us in warm regard as a San Franciscan. And I hope that the legislature gets a little more peppy and ambitioned, ambitious in what they seek to do uh, because I think the Chronicle did a terrific piece in saying, well, last year not much was done. Uh, so yes, I would want to, at this point, I would like to advise or consult to any number of people in elected office that are in a position, uh, to create lasting and secure change. The board of supervisors gets in too much fights in my day. It was years ago we got along. We'd go out to lunch with each other. You found a way to make a human relationship with your colleague. If you were philosophically different, that was fine. But once in a while, people would stretch for you if they liked you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I find that the, the public gets fed up. They're sick of everything. They're sick of reading about turmoil. They're sick of reading about Democrats Uh, fighting with Republicans in Washington. They want us to do something. Uh, Implement Obamacare. Add back what was taken away. Move towards uh, single payer once you're sure the government can deliver it, and otherwise keep private insurance.
0: Mm.
2: Work to improve the schools. Why are we satisfied that all kids with money go to private schools? This is all over the state. The state, the schools are bankrupt. We should all care about that.
0: Yep. Uh, so that leads me to the question. Um, I started out, you know, the interview by saying I waited for a really long time to be able to have this conversation with you as a young person, looked up to you as, um, you know, a woman, as a lesbian who is in a position of power. and 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 kind of looking back at the political history here, at least in San Francisco, and the campaigns that have gone on, we've seen more and more gay men, you know, be elected. Um, And maybe across the country, there are are definitely more women. You could argue that women, lesbians uh, live in different areas than Mm -hmm. big urban cities where it's crowded, Mm -hmm. at least politically. Um, But I did wonder, as I was prepping for this interview, why you were not you know, running for office in, in any capacity, and it's been a few years mm-hmm. since, um, you know, Mark Leno won the campaign, the state senate re-election campaign you were serving, he won, so he served. And, uh, yeah, just curious. I mean, it sounds like you want to be in a consulting position, but... Um, even thirty minutes into this conversation it's clear clear to me you know <laughs> that uh, you serving in a position of power in, uh, as an elected official would serve us really well
2: Well, I appreciate that uh, and that 's why I undertook to make the film spent many years doing that and raising the money for it and as a former elected official it isn't as easy to raise money. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to create a road map to show young people how to get involved and what it took. And the fact is, we were four women, the first gay legislators in Sacramento. And that had a lot to do also with HIV. And the fact that during that era, our friends became ill. And... You know, you can't ever close the horrifying aspect of that chapter. I see a continuation of lesbians in service. I was charmed by the fact that Arizona elected a United mm. States senator that identifies as bisexual mm-hmm. state of Arizona. And there are more lesbian or gay identified congresspeople, and of course... Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin was an out out (laughs) gay person. Uh, I think I said the other night there was a poll of Americans that said 42% of Americans would vote for somebody gay. doesn't think it's an issue. Mm -hmm. You see, and what I like, what I think is important is to get away from identity politics, per se, to say we're a composite of things. And yes, I'm a legisl you know, I'm a former legislator, I'm a lesbian, I'm of Jewish background. I've been married thirty-two years. I like to garden. My mother's French, my father's Jewish. <laughs> I was an English major. My favorite thing is to read novels. So I felt and I was very involved, for instance, in my chief of staff, Betty E, who's now the state controller, mm-hmm. running and winning to become state controller. Dennis Herrera was a volunteer for me years and years before he became city attorney. There are a number of people who I think are part of my political family that I still hold on to and uh, continue to advise and influence. So, you know, at this juncture, I travel, Mm -hmm. I enjoy that, (laughs) And I want to be available in the most intense way mm-hmm. at any time. I had uh, lunch with one of the mayor's deputy directors yesterday, and we went over a number of matters. So I think it's important to keep involved. And as I said to the United Democrats, I'd love to do a workshop and have a fundraise. So I'd like to be asked. So I continue to, and I travel with the movie to different places. It was at Fresno State not long ago. So I am accessible and open to having my voice heard, and, uh, but no, I didn't feel inclined at that point to move. I could have won a board seat at Hill. And it, it didn't feel right to me. It felt more like my own personal yearning as opposed to what's the proper order of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I helped Malia Cohn, who's now on the State Board of Equalization, doing a terrific job. And I have no regrets. Um, so I feel very good about what I accomplished. And before we did domestic partnership, all of us that were... Lesbian lawmakers. We made sure we did bills on foster care, on education. I saved the headwaters forest, clean needles for you know nurses so that they didn't get infected with HIV. We did numberless uh, important first anti-predatory lending bill. So I served as a generalist in many ways to illustrate I cared and I get a bill through and I wasn't single-minded. So when I came to domestic partner, I already had a host mm-hmm. of bills that had been established into law that were important for all people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that, that's, that's great. We've interviewed a number of uh, both gay men and, and lesbian women who are, are in politics, but in particular, that's been a message from the women, former mayor of Houston. Um, uh, Annalise? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've also seen it in public comments by Tammy for uh, Tammy. Uh, Baldwin. Baldwin. Baldwin, thank you. Um, that my campaign was not about me as a lesbian running for office. It's about fixing those streets or getting the schools, you know, that kind of stuff. It's the, the issues that you really care about. Um, was sexuality ever a political a campaign issue?
2: Yeah, I would say differently. I am a lesbian, and I care about these things too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't put it in a negative. I never want to do this. And I never right, right, did. and n-
1: none of them were saying that they were, we hid no, it. No, and it's that's why it, I
2: enjoyed it because yeah. when I ran citywide and I had to go to the Richmond and the Sunset and talk to people in a house, uh, and I had the foundation of having run the San Francisco Democratic Party for years mm-hmm. and had a record, but I I yearned for the opportunity to be before people and illustrate that I was energetic. Kind of smart, predisposed to help. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a person that could be effective and trustworthy. And I think that's why it's so important to have immediate contact with people. uh, To look somebody in the eye, to take a question, to be part of something. That's what I loved about the forum, people gathering. Social media is terrific. But the opportunities for people to gather as they did formally don't exist as they used to. Mm-hmm. When I was president of the Harvey Milk Club, and that was the time HIV was hitting the community and impacting in the most terrible of ways, 400 people would show up because we had so much at stake. There was so much we needed to talk about. So I would like to revive all the forums. I love that people watch and listen to the shows. It's also great to have people gather together be uh infused with the sp- you know the spirit of the crowd.
1: Is there a room for a Carol Migdon club? The- <laughs> Carol Migdon Democratic Club of San Francisco.
2: Well, I'll be I'll be uh I would be very pleased to be affiliated with people who wanted to gather and um create a voice.
0: I'll be a member. <laughs> um, can, can I have a heart-to-heart moment with you? So though? While we're on the subject of, of you know, looking back. Um, as a uh, voter, a young voter, you know, living in San Francisco at the time, I, I did feel, it didn't feel good, you know. I felt like during your re-election campaign, it was tough that there was another notable um, gay politician and the honorable Mark Leno who served as state senator two terms he's he's done a great he did a great job he ran as mayor uh, ran a great campaign didn't win but um, and he's been here he's a good friend in a, in a lot of ways but I, I really I do remember not feeling great because i I felt like you were treated unfairly um as a as a woman there was a lot of targeting um I think that there was a lot of questioning my question really has to do with, the LGBTQ community, more of us being a, uh, electable, or you know, mm-hmm. you said it, over forty percent of voters would elect an LGBTQ people um, president of the United States as president of the United States. Uh, how do we get away from the strategies that had been used? I think you know, in the past, and 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 how to win, while still being good to each other Mm -hmm. or am I just being too soft and too emotional (laughs) as a, as a, as a woman, as a LGBTQ person, No, not at all. Um, Let's validate. Yeah. What I'm referring to is.
2: I want to validate the fact that there was nastiness and underhandedness and no, it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that, as we become more empowered as individuals, doesn't mean we're going to be immune from certain practices that work or don't work uh, with regard to affecting votes. And some of it isn't so nice always. Uh, So I think it's important to always try to keep in touch with your moral center to call things out. No, I don't think you're naive. I do think there was not good treatment in that regard. And I think we've seen it in other races that have uh, pitted individuals who we may like a little bit or respect against each other. It's an unfortunate part of the times, and it's not to say that Donald Trump influences us particularly, but when you have a president that basically validates Russian interference, cheating, corruption, tweeting, calling out elected members, evidencing such disrespect and uh, contempt for institutions and people that we Americans hold sacred, that it kind of, the wheels come off the wagon a little bit about what becomes permissible in these times, and what the stakes may be. And going back a little bit, we were gentler people. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true. And I think it's important for young people to keep their eyes open, to be aware of the forces that may not that are negative or to be avoided, but they're real and to reckon with how one surmounts them, averts them, and continues on a a positive path. Uh, But there's no stopping different forms of evolution, and that includes how to run for a coveted political spot. Uh, Now, for instance, in the legislature, In my day, we were termed out of each house after six years. Now those individuals get 12 years. It's more of a steadier job. Well, then the stakes become a little higher about how much you want it and what you're going to do to get it.
1: And you, you went right into the question I was going to ask, which was, how do you feel about term limits?
2: I think it's... Not, I mean, on one hand, I became a legislator because of it, because the people of California established term limits in a way to, frankly, depose Willie Brown, who was the Speaker of the Assembly, who then became mayor, and we switched seats. It gave me the opportunity to thrive. But I also believe that it's based on foolishness in some ways. The legislators that are there now have very, very young staff who haven't necessarily been in the building. There's been, you know, when a new person comes in, they throw out everyone else. And I'm not a proponent of term limits. It's not the thing I'd go most crazy about. (laughs) There's far other things. But in general, as a policy... I don't think that's wise and if you add in public financing as this city has done then you create more of an even station for people to run and it doesn't ensure that the incumbent will always remain in the seat if that individual is not doing a good job
0: well right around this time we allow for questions from our audience and uh, no questions all right we have no questions from the audience we'll keep going Um, Let's turn our attention to kind of, you know, what's happening with our country right now. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, Let's start with the federal government. Uh, It's surprising to me, actually, I hear from some folks who are like already defeated that this president will win another term. Uh, What are your thoughts on just kind of where we're going? The the Democrats have over, what, 20 candidates? How many candidates now?
1: 24 at least. Okay,
0: 24 candidates. Um, Where we're at, well, just yesterday, right, uh, we went through a hearing, in trying to see if the uh, president had done anything bad or <laughs> against the law uh, in and which uh, after that hearing or I'm not you know reading the headlines people are just not sure if that even benefited us is um, what are your thoughts
2: uh, well let's turn to the election the re-election campaign we're democrats at democracy a lot of people want to run. There's very little downsize to putting your hat in the ring. And pretty soon that'll thin. And we'll get to a few core candidates. Um, Donald Trump does enjoy 40% and all of his nasty tactics, attacking some particular congresswomen and other things, are designed for his re-election campaign, which is to play on hate, hatred and bitterness and division. We have to overcome that, and on the stage we have different kinds of Democrats who are more progressive or moderate or whatever the appropriate point of views are that will be displayed before the public and working very hard in in states to really court and meet voters. I think that's just a wonderful process. Uh, there are some upcoming debates, and I think people should watch them and uh, begin to be also to be open-minded that it's early. What the Democrats have to do to win when you have a president that has 42% of the vote, and that might not change. And let's just say, this isn't just, I want to clarify that. It's not just because the hatred prevails. The economy's good. People are working. They're paying less taxes. These are real pocketbook issues that occur right now today. And many people who I know who are moderate Democrats or Republicans say, don't listen to what he says, see what he does. A lot of folks are feeling some household benefit. So we have to illustrate, we Democrats, to say, we want to get back to the issues of health care. We want to get back to the issues of growing jobs, real jobs with the future. It was an interesting article in the New York Times about if you're willing to move to some different parts of the country, you get a good job with a high school diploma if you just get out of a city. I want to applaud that. I want to begin to say their status in vocational education. Let's get people working. You're going to need a plumber anyway. Uh, So, with regard to the candidates... I'm hopeful that there are a number of ideas and substantial candidacy, and then there's Mayor people who ever heard of him, and suddenly he's <laughs> impressing the whole nation. Come on already, this is a brilliant guy, and he he learned Norwegian because a book he liked wasn't translated from Norwegian. I mean, he, you know, so whatever happens, the gentleman has a future. But I think it reexcites us again and makes us uncynical. So all things that resist the cynicism and mm-hmm. breathe life and possibility to me are, you know, invaluable. So my own feeling is, yes, Donald Trump is beatable. Who our final candidate to be, well, it's not knowable now, but there are hosts of some pretty good people. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: What we have to do is bring out people that are registered voters that just don't ever vote. That's what we found in the base. That's what President Obama did to win. People that stay home. They stayed home for Hillary. That could have been because they stayed home. It could have been because they had a personal dislike attached. We've learned from some mistakes in the Midwest. And yes, there was neglect and attention should be paid. So it's a matter, when you look to the turnout of the midterm elections and the number of new people, new Democrats, catapulted into congressional seats, it shows that the country feels they want a big change. And you mentioned women. The country also likes women <laughs> in leadership. And it's increasingly saying... Yeah, a woman would have more heart or be more reasonable or less ruthless, to go back mm-hmm. to a statement you made, mm-hmm. or more humane. So, that to me is the job ahead to continue to poll our friends or others. California's a democratic state, it's not as pivotal here. I went to work for Hillary in two or three different states. I'm going to be everywhere for our nominee. I'm going to take time and bring troops and ground operations and turn out the vote, and it really turns into that. We have to target people that stayed home.
1: Mm. I I I wonder about the tendency to be a circular firing squad um, among Democratic voters, you know, rounding on Nancy Pelosi because she's not doing impeachment right away, rounding on, you know, anyone who... Who stops and says, "Well, yeah, Barack Obama wasn't God. He had to negotiate. He had to compromise and stuff like that." And I think a lot of it. I mean, my thought. I'm, I'm curious. You're. I think a lot of it is that a lot of people just don't understand how politics actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, while well, while a lot of Democrats have looked at Republicans who you know suddenly love this strongman you know political leader, I think a lot of Democrats would go for a democratic version of that, not in all necessarily the policies, but someone who could go in there and not have to compromise, You know, could get done whatever he or she says. And I, 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 my worry is that simply, again, they don't know how politics works and that they should know how it works, that, that, that there's an actual strength to the, the, uh, the compromise and the Law negotiation.
2: Lawmaking equals compromise. Unavoidable. Amy Klobuchar, who is not doing as well in these polls, has a tremendous record of bills that get signed into law working with Republicans, uh, just, just to say. Uh, for me, Nancy has been a phenomenal leader and is and still is, and that doesn't mean one doesn't have disruptions in a Democratic caucus. I think she's seen as... The one person uh, that stands between us and real disaster and a person that Trump is terribly intimidated Mm -hmm. by uh, Mm -hmm. because of her and her strong interjection of values. I don't. I agree 100% with her about impeachment because I think that would take up the next year or so and dismay voters and sicken them. And what people want is for us to address issues that they need solved, having to do with student debt, having to do with issues about how their children are going to be educated, having to do with the fact that some of these jobs are gig jobs and they're not permanent and those kinds of jobs in Uber Taxi Care doesn't create health insurance or retirement or FICA benefits or anything down the line. These are the stresses one feels, the unaffordability to live or, the, it, it, you know, your kids coming home from school and living in your house after they graduate because they can't make a goal in life. Uh, I was in total agreement because... The report from Mueller says there are issues that could be addressed that would have to do with fitness in office that may have been a crime. The Constitution also says, in there are different interpretations from the Justice Department, that you cannot indict a sitting president because that person would be subject to a lot of indictments and couldn't do their job. Mr. Trump might face something down the pike or not, But to begin to do that without having the goods or uh, some kind of satisfying conclusion, because then it goes to the Senate, frankly, I think would derail the Democrats' chance of evidencing as a positive things, issues that we feel strongly about to differentiate from Republicans and the Donald Trump agenda. Uh, and they are
0: overwhelming
2: and sweeping,
0: as we wind down on time, and I could do this for, you know for hours and hours and ask you so many more questions. Um, but I saved this one for for the end, and John, you can have the last question. There's about eight minutes left. Uh, the other week, we had an interview with someone that I would probably consider a millennial leader. Um, yeah, someone who is leading a, a, an organization and has very, very radical thoughts and ideas of how they see what we could be doing differently. And it, it really has to do with dismantling the entire systems in which we operate in this country. And John had asked a very interesting question, like, why not take all of this? great vision, translate that and, uh, you know, build power in, in politics, mm-hmm. run for something. Mm-hmm. And the, the individual was so, which I think mirrors what a lot of young, young uh, radical millennials think in this, they have no, almost no, no trust in the current system, even the political system that they wouldn't run for power because that too is corrupt right. and that would go against their moral you know, values. Uh, so my question to you is a successful Democrat who has built progress for our communities, not just the LGBTQ community. I mean, what would you say to someone like that, which I think a, a little bit of that radicalism is also present in today's democratic party no and question. serving in Congress, uh, you the, know,
2: it, excuse me. Yeah, Give no, me no. Me I know.
0: mean, I mean, how would you address that? I think to someone it's of great. We yeah.
2: want a diversity of opinions. You know, uh, I think there was a vote, a resolution about Israel, frankly, and there were only 17, everybody affirmed it, and 17 votes against. So I think some of it gets taken care of that individuals are allowed to express their point of view that doesn't always necessarily influence the outcome of certain votes. But I invite and enjoy it. And if there are millennial millennial young people that think there's another system to work outside of the system that will be effective. That's great. We've always had anarchists. We've always had people that said, you know, blow it up, start at the beginning. In 10 years, that person's going to feel a little differently, I promise you, uh, if certain needs aren't met. Uh, But I don't um, have any disdain or, or uh, disapproval for those kinds of point of view, that's okay. I do think it's important to hone uh, new leadership and encourage people to run for office because that's a station of power and one can be inside or outside and I would just advise to the millennial leader that that person should try to cultivate people whom they trust to be in that role and others can work outside of it. And it helps stimulate change. And public sentiment does make change. And it does help lawmakers enact laws when people are expressing their points of view vociferously. Uh, so, I'll get, you know, I'm impressed, and I don't want to just pick out one camp, but what I'm impressed with is Elizabeth Warren. Because she was born in Oklahoma to a poor family. And she went to community college and then had to take steps and ended up a Harvard professor. So nobody can point to her and say elitist when you know, she comes from that background, but as an example of an extraordinarily intelligent, accomplished person that somewhere along the line, I think she got a Pell Grant or she got a federal education grant. And those were the structures in government that we want to help people in our country. You know, I said to my partner, Chris Arcadis, whom I've been with 33 years, that I want to see every state in the Union. And I've begun to do that, be in the South. I haven't hit Oklahoma yet, but I want to. We buy coastal. I'm in New York, here, there. We, we enjoy privilege living here. So I think it's also important to recognize and realize What other Americans face in their day-to-day life
0: Mm.
2: and their challenges and to know it in their heart?
1: Okay, so I get the last question? Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, Barbara Boxer, uh, Kamala Harris, Carol Migdon, London Breed, the late Ellen Tauscher, Jackie Speier, and the list can go on and on. San Francisco and the Bay Area tends to be known statewide as a pretty tough political, thing. I mean, you really learn your, what's the word, you, you learn your chops or whatever here. Yeah. Why are women so successful here? I mean, we're seeing, you know. Gay other... men
2: is the answer.
1: <laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm glad we can help out. But... <laughs> no, uh, what?
2: I ran citywide. I think the extra percentage came from gay men. Seriously? Yeah. Here's the thing, and I, this I do want to explain. We're northerners here. There's one assembly person now after redistricting from San Francisco. they are 30 from Los Angeles. The population of the state of California is south of us. So it was always very, very important for the North, firstly one, to keep the water. That's the most important thing we have, mm-hmm. if, truly. Mm-hmm. And that way we get our schools funded, because we don't have votes up here. And there's not many people that live above us to Oregon. So we really have to appreciate state dynamics. That's an important thing to educate San Franciscans about when we're trying to gather votes for our issues. Uh, So we had to be bold and raise money and be audacious and be particular figures. We're very pleased that Gavin Newsom is from San Francisco, and that means that he's respectful of the North, We always get nervous when there's a Southern California governor, and we're not so sure we'll be well taken care of. I was glad that Governor Newsom sort of chopped in half the very ambitious water plan that exiting Governor Jerry Brown designed, because I want to parcel out the water carefully. Mm -hmm. Truly. Uh, So... It's kind of was incumbent upon our leaders, and I do think gay men or liberals or the fact that everybody here is very open-minded to the integrity of a person, not necessarily their gender, and not their race either, uh, so that we always felt that, that we had a, a welcome or an encouragement. At least I always felt that. And even when I went to places where people might have disagreed with me, I always felt like well, that's civil, that's allowed, let's have a discussion. I'm going to take that in and think about it. So it is true uh, we came from the North, and some of that is kind of kismet, may not be so in the future, but as I say about Senator Feinstein, she's one of the only United States senators that has an enormous national profile. They know her in the country. And of course, now they're getting to know uh, Senator Harris because of her campaign. So it isn't just that, and 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 Barbara Boxer, Senator Boxman she served was the most, 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 most ever seen, liberal and outspoken representative. So that's been a source of our pride and our notoriety, but also um, our success.
0: Thank you so much. Senator Carol Migden for joining us here at the Commonwealth Club and on the program. So appreciate your time. My pleasure, Michelle. It's <laughs> wonderful to see you and John. It's,
2: it's been great.
0: And thanks to all of you who are tuning in through Progressive Voices Network or downloading the podcast at CommonwealthClub.org. By the way, check out the full schedule for future programming at CommonwealthClub.org. We uh, have some exciting stuff coming up, and I know I keep saying that, and we haven't really published it yet, but it is coming. It's coming. We'll see you you. next time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at
1: commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.